Presented by FightGameMedia.com, we're here for you with daily coverage for this year's G1 Climax, number 30. Day 9, down, in the books. It's a great show today from Takamatsu, possibly the best top-to-bottom card, full program, was just the most solid of the tournament, I would say. Doesn't contain the best match of the G1 so far, I wouldn't say that. But if you're looking for a top-to-bottom wrestling card that's not NXT from this weekend, which was also very good, um, today's from Takamatsu. And that's just the first day. Buckle up. All right. You can find Carlos on Twitter. He's at Carlos Toro 360 and on the Carlos Toro Media Channel on YouTube. I'm Justin M. Nipper on Twitter. Last name K-N-I-P-P-E-R. Um, okay, before we start today, I wanted to share the Jim Valley fundraiser with you guys. I think if you're listening to this, you probably already know this. You might have already donated, and that's awesome. But just if there's a chance, if there's anybody out there who doesn't know Jim Valley or isn't familiar with the story, I just want to break it down for you because I think it's really important. Um, Josh Nason from the Wrestling Observer website, F4W Online, uh, he helped put together a GoFundMe for Jim Valley, who is a talent and voice that we've we've heard and listened to. And if you haven't, he's from the website. He's on Wrestling Observer Live, Wrestling Observer Radio with Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, he had the Portland WrestleCast, which introduced a lot of people over the past couple of years to Portland Wrestling. There's not much out there for fans to dig up on Portland Wrestling. He was, he was the guru and the teacher for a lot of people on that. He's, he has Pacific Rim, my favorite podcast with Fumi Saito. But right now he's sick and he's in the ICU. Jim has... It's something called GPA. It's an autoimmune disease. It's rare. And he's been through a lot before. And he's beaten this stuff before. And this is maybe the fourth time, I think. This is... He's tough as hell. But this time, we've got to help if we can, I think. Um, he's up in Washington right now. You know, after six or seven years it's been in remission this stuff's come back it flared up over the summer mm. he, had, he got laryngitis in July we were talking on the phone in July uh, he was helping with um, with an article I was working on about Hanakimura and then the laryngitis led to pneumonia and he's made progress but once he makes some progress, I've heard, you know, it goes back and forth and it just sucks for the family. Simply, it just sucks. There's a lot of BS happening all year. This has been a crazy year. That's not new, but um, but this especially sucks because Jim and Carrie don't deserve to go through this right now. It really sucks. So if you can help, I'm going to post the link in the uh, show notes, but... If you have anything to donate, it would be awesome. They've made a lot of progress in just two days. And if you can help or at least bring awareness to other people about this, it would be really cool. Because I think we need to send our energy his way, his family's way. It's just tough right now. I mean, anything can help. And if you can't, it's totally, you know everyone understands just think about him if you can okay he's a really important part of this business i think i think it's under i think we not only need him back for for jim for being a great guy but he's also he's freaking talented and he knows how to tell a story and he did a great job last year with Misaito saito commenting on the stardom show in english 
and he doesn't need to be in the ICU. He needs to be out here with us. So, uh, I'll post the link, but it's on GoFundMe. Um, yeah, that's going to be good. And on that note, let's get right into the show. Hey, it's Justin. Welcome back after four or five days away from you guys. We're back. Carlos, how's it going? Doing pretty good. It's yeah, it has been a hot minute since we last did a show. It, it maybe this was like what the biggest break uh, uh, in between episodes for the G one. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think it was this was the longest uh, break between cards because it had always been a couple on the weekend and then two or three here and a day off and then a couple more. But yeah, we had a couple days from last Thursday and we're back for the last stretch, day nine. And today oh, man, it's going to be the and it's the biggest, <laughs> biggest week yeah. of the G1 yet. This is and you know what? Based on the just the uh, not just the programming, but uh, you can see where the stories are going now. If you look at the points and after today's a block card, I think where we're going in the end of the G1 climax this year, I think we can see a little bit more of it. I think we can see who's going where. Uh what point total is going to add up to whichever story comes after the G1. So we'll see what happens, but I think we should just get right into the recap of today's show. It started up. Okay. So today we were in Takamatsu and the first match we had the C block, the unofficial C block and Yuya Uemura picked up another win over Gabriel Kidd. Lion Tamer. The dreaded, brutal lion tamer that you dislike so much, Carlos. <laughs> I guess, may, yeah, it, it kind of was the, the lion tamer or pseudo lion tamer, as you can maybe also call it, because it, it is a little bit different than maybe the Chris Jericho version of the lion, uh, yeah, I guess of the lion tamer, but a good match. It was surprising that Yuyo Imura not only beat Gabriel Kidd, but he did so with the exact same move he did when the last time these two shared uh, shared the ring. So kind of a little bit of a story there where Yuyo Imura is now starting to pick up some steam and Gabriel Kidd, it, he just can't overcome the, the Boston Crab slash line tamer. This was not this wasn't like the instant classic that maybe some of these young line matches have been. It was good, a lot more technical wrestling than maybe some past matches have been. It's one of the shorter matches of this young lines unofficial Steve block, as we sometimes like to call it, but hey, good stuff. Good stuff. Yomura is certainly starting to gain a little more confidence and get a little more momentum with these recent wins. Did you notice or feel anything different about their match today compared with any of their past matches over the recent weeks? Because to me, it felt like, again, it's like we're not adding too much to what we've been talking about recently, but this definitely felt like it's another level up. The athleticism was it was a little more intense. It was a little faster. We're seeing a little more from both guys. Did you notice anything different? Maybe so. Maybe the lack of striking in, hmm. in, in the early part of the match. You know, Kid is someone who loves kicking and hitting people with the forearm, and we didn't really get to see that until like maybe like closer towards the end of the match, which is a little more surprising. This was like a different style of match from Gabriel Kid. Not necessarily bad. It was just something that a little. It's a, a style that we're not too accustomed to seeing from Gabriel Kid. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit more personality with each show that goes on from from Kid and from Waymura and Yotosuji too. So again, it's one of those things where we're going to have to keep our eye on each match. And then when the G1's over, we're going to see some kind of picture. Uh, we're going to ma- hopefully be able to uh, view uh, their futures a little more clearly after this. But it was really good. And one, one little thing I liked about this match, I noticed that you notice a lot of wrestling matches start with a collar and elbow tie up. Mm-hmm. This started in a more realistic kind of way that, that you'd see more in, you know, submission grappling or catch wrestling or just jujitsu where they both started fighting for grips from the top 
of the match. They were, they were it, from the from there. It felt like I was watching a submission match. Like I didn't have to suspend much disbelief because that's what you see when you see wrestling, like actual wrestling. That's how it starts. You don't see a collar and elbow tie-ups too much, and if you do, I mean, you do, but you see it, and one person is in much more control of the situation. It's not like the pro wrestling collar and elbow where it's just kind of perfunctory. You go through the motions, you do this, and then you move to another move. It felt like, oh, they're go, they're, it felt sport. It felt like they were going for things. It felt like they were trying to beat each other instead of a performance of you do this move, I do this move. That's a, a nitpicky, fussy digression. So I digress. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, but I like that. So that, that's what I really like. That was the first thing I noticed about that match. But that's the kind of thing that if you're a stickler like I am, like a power nerd about that kind of wrestling, this is the kind of stuff that you really want to watch because it was great. I've been enjoying it, though. And cool win for Uemura on the line to Amur. Okay, next, A Block match, number one. Shingo Takagi defeated Yujiro, the Tokyo Pimps, Takahashi. Um, it wasn't bad. It was, it was a good match. But anything special or notable to add to this, Carlos? I will say this. This match, it, Takahashi actually impressed me a little bit. This match kind of showed that Takahashi is more than willing to trade blows with someone like Shingo Takagi and... I thought this this was going to be maybe one of your typical like five, six minute squash matches, but it actually got pretty interesting down the stretch with a lot of striking back and forth between the two of them. I remember a moment where Shingo Takagi threw a pumping bomber to Takahashi and Takahashi got back up and kind of threw like a half pumping bomber of his own. And it was... It was very surprising. I mean, I didn't really expect uh, Shingo Takagi to lose, but this was kind of like the the match where it kind of reminded you that like prior to joining Bullet Club, Yujiro Takahashi wasn't exactly like super low end of the card. The guy did win titles in New Japan. He did challenge Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP heavyweight title almost a decade ago. And this was kind of like a a good pick-me-up match for Takahashi, not just necessarily in picking up the win, but also just kind of show that he's able to sort of keep up at times with some of the better workers in in New Japan. Wouldn't really go out and say that this was a great match. It was not, but this was a slightly above-average match, which I don't think anyone quite expected from Yujiro Takahashi, even in an A-block as stacked as this one. Yeah, I'm pretty much 100% on the same page as you. I think the only thing I'd add, I suppose, is I I think both Takagi and Takahashi, they put their best efforts into this. You got a great Takagi performance, and Yujiro, for what he does, he, he does the heel thing. It's a solid, you know, he's got a solid thing going on for him, a solid shtick. And when he's with somebody as talented as Takagi, he can just do what he does and do it well, and it, it really worked. I'm not saying it's, you know, match of the year or anything, but um, both guys looked good. It was a cool way to start the show. Uh, Takashi didn't look bad, but he didn't um, change anybody's perception of who he is. And same with Takagi. Business as usual, I guess, but good business. So, yeah, rock and roll. That was a good, <laughs> it was a good way to start the card, too. And... Um, it felt a lot different than the Young Lions match. So you, you got the you got into a different mindset as you were watching the match. You go, okay, we're going back to G one, uh, back to the tournament. Got to remember the details of what happened last week. So yeah, and that's pretty much it. So, but if you skip this, I mean, guys, if you skip it, it's, what can I say? You know, you can go back and watch. Yeah, it and this, this is arguably the worst match on the show, which. It, uh, on on paper, it sounds like, well, you shouldn't watch this match. But, I mean, we've seen a lot worse matches throughout this G1 than, than this one. So Definitely. It, yeah. So, I wouldn't say it's an auto skip, but, you know, don't strain yourself too much in trying to watch this one. Yeah. If you have the time, go for it, for sure. Let's take a quick break from the G1 cast to talk about DoorDash. Everyone knows how much I love DoorDash, but I'm all out of stories. So I'm just going to 
I'm just going to quickly read the copy as it was written. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $15 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter code blue wire so don't forget code blue wire for five dollars off your first order with doordash now let's get back to carlos and justin okay next match next match i would say you definitely have to watch and i was really surprised with the finish jeff cobb beats jay white former iwgp champion jay white clean one two three with tour of the islands in jeff cobb's Hulk Hogan moment match where he press slammed Ghetto onto Jay White before he slammed him with Tour of the Islands. All right, Jeff Cobb, gotcha, moochie time. Yeah, this was this was really good. Like, I don't know about you, Justin, but it felt like to me, like Jeff Cobb is from his last match against Kota Ibushi. Like, Cobb is, like, now starting to really get into that, like, second gear as a performer here in New Japan because this may have been, like, his two best matches uh, up in the G1. And this was a little bit different from the Kota Ibushi match where Jay White, at times, he felt like this, he was just poking the bear a, a little bit and Cobb was just trying to constantly get his hands on Jay White and Jay White would just slither out every single time. But toward the second half of the match, the action really picked up a lot and Cobb, like his power at times is just so damn impressive. And Jay White is such a good performer that he's able to really sell Jeff Cobb's wrestling and power ability. And I thought that there would be a lot more Bullet Club shenanigans. Obviously, we got we sort of got that towards the end, but given that we had a Takahashi match right before, this was like mostly a clean wrestling match, and it wasn't even a long match. It was like 12 and a half minutes, but Jeff got picking up the win over Jay White. Really, really surprised me, but I think it bodes really well over how he's going to do in the post-G1 ha- run that we're presumably going to see from Jeff Cobb in Japan. Yeah, to your point about the uh, outside the ring chicanery, there wasn't, I mean, we're getting what we get usually, but we're getting it in smaller doses. I think before we'd see it more often or in the spots, people would hang around and it would just feel like we're watching a lot of nonsense. But this was like a quick, a quick in and out a couple times in the match and towards the end. You know, we end up, I think the psychology of it is we end up feeling okay about it because Cobb got the comeuppance at the end. He looked like the hero. He got the big win. And I think from this match, more than any other match in the series so far, from what the crowd sounded like and from what the commentary team sounded like, I mean, Liger loved it. Milano Collection was going crazy. He loved it. This was one of those, uh-oh, this is, like you said, shifting into the next gear um, I don't know how much of last year's G1 you caught, but Jeff Cobb was in that too. And I feel like these, there's two different wrestlers compared to 2019, 2020. Did you catch any of uh, last year's? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was one of the guys where I felt like it, it just felt like Jeff Cobb was struggling. Maybe not struggling is the right word, but he was still finding his rhythm and his footing in New Japan. It's kind of like the same point that we brought about Kenta um, last week, in which we know he's good, but wrestling in the New Japan style does take time to get adjusted to. And it does feel like, hell, even in this tournament, this one tournament, you don't even have to go that far. 
from the start of the G1 to now, it feels like Jeff Cobb is like a much wrestler, a much better wrestler, much more seasoned, more in tune with the New Japan speed and pace right now than even at the start of the tournament. So I think this is a case where we finally are going to see Jeff Cobb maybe perhaps at his best inside a, a New Japan ring. Yeah, and I'm very curious to see what happens with Cobb after this because are we going to see him more in Japan or are we going to see him on the New Japan USA brand? I'm not sure. And that's kind of exciting because he's having a great performance and there's so many different ways you could go with his character. So I think uh, all thumbs up on this and huge respect to Jay White who's been killing it on this. I mean... The more, the more I'm forced to really, you know, when I'm watching and I'm doing these podcasts or writing about it, you know, we're forced to watch as closely as possible so we can get the information. That's the only way, if, especially if it's not in English uh, right up front, right? So being able to watch Jay White, especially in this, I don't know what's going on with his pace. is going Like he's so sharp right now. Or is there something that you picked up on this? Like it, something about him, he's just like, he's in the zone. He feels like he's in the zone. Yeah, I think you can say that for a couple of guys like Osprey and Kodobushi. Right, uh, yeah. We'll talk about them later, but they're those are two another wrestlers who are looking better and better each time out. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next couple of weeks with both of them, and especially with Cobb. I, I'm really I have no idea what what's in store for him, but I'm sure it'll be great. So. I do have a question. So you mentioned Liger and Milano Collection. Granted, I don't know much Japanese. Like the closest I've ever gone to actually learn Japanese is, you know, just watching anime throughout my whole life. But how is Liger on commentary? Because that's always because I've always been curious about that. But I don't know enough Japanese to really ascertain Liger's ability as a broadcaster. Oh, God, he's awesome. He put he if you I don't know how to explain his vibe other than like a really nice uncle or like he's got he's so positive he's he's just one of those guys who's positive but he's not fake positive he's just like come what is all just let's go let's do it and when he when he likes something it's so authentic and it, this isn't as much of a language thing as if you kind of know what's going on you kind of pick up the content he's just enjoying it and I'll share this tidbit of advice that I was shared with by the fantastic, awesome, great writer, historian, Fumi Saito. He told me that when you're announcing, like the really, the key is to enjoy the show for the audience, like as a, like a vessel, like you're to enjoy it and kind of show how to enjoy it for us or for them. And I think Liger is such a great example of that. He's just, he's so familiar with the product He's so, I mean, he's Liger. There's nobody that has his take on pro wrestling other than him. And if anybody's interested, uh, wrestling, uh, if you speak Japanese or not, he has his own YouTube channel now, which is often very funny. And if you can find them, maybe I can put some uh, links in the show notes, but there was a series of videos he was doing with the, his producer of the YouTube show where he was demonstrating uh, submission moves and how, how they really feel in real life. We kind of were talking about it uh, regarding the uh, Uemura Lion Tamer. We were kind of in jest. We were just talking in hypotheticals, but in that uh, in those series of videos, he's doing the Cobra Twist and he's doing face locks and this guy is screaming, shrieking in pain. It's really funny. It's really funny. But back to your original question, Liger is awesome. Uh, the energy he brings is awesome to the, the announced team. Milano too. Milano is, is different. He's a different character, but um, and I, I'm not the one to, I don't know uh, how to translate. It's, it's not as much as a translation as some of his delivery kills me. Like when he, uh, I th it was the match when Yoshihashi almost beat evil, but Dick Togo got involved and he just screamed out, white suit. <laughs> I, I lost it. I don't know. That's just my sense of humor, I guess. So uh, Milano aside, Liger rules on commentary. That's awesome. Like you, I don't, again, I don't speak a whole ton of Japanese, but like whenever he talks, like you can just feel like 
his excitement over the New Japan product. And he has such a sort of a different voice to to the broadcast that, that it got, it kind of got me curious. But, I, but I'm glad to hear that, like, he's very good as a broadcaster because, like, I do enjoy listening to him uh, with as little Japanese as I know. His, I would say anytime I hear him, and like you said, you picked up on it too, that, that kind of, that vibe that he's bringing it that vibe comes through whether you know the language or not i mean like you're feeling it too and that's the same feeling i'm getting it's just his force his life force is just it's there and it's pure and uh he's really special i don't know any i can't compare him to any other wrestlers like in japan not in japan i mean not as a in ring as a wrestler of course we can make comparisons but he's special and he could still go if he wanted to. Like he just had one of the best matches of his life, not like not even a year ago. I think it was only a year ago when he retired, and they, they did the Suzuki match, and he ripped off his mask, and he was you know crazy Joker Liger. That wasn't even a year ago. So he's yeah, he's and that else. and that that whole build was incredible, especially if you knew the history between Liger and Suzuki. Like it, knowing with that kind of context, it was maybe one of the best. Uh, angles and views of 2020 like in all of wrestling i loved it i loved it and that's actually a good segue man because the next match on today's card was minoru suzuki eating pin to kazuchika okada in this good match the the pin uh, correct me if i'm wrong was this is SummerSlam 92 uh a british bulldog bret hart finish uh, a little flip. bit yeah yeah where Okada was on top of hitting with a cradle and it just kind of pulls Suzuki's legs like towards Suzuki's neck. It was very similar to that. And this match is it felt weird. I don't know how to explain it, but this match was obviously Okada money clip getting uh, with the Cobra clutch, yada, yada, yada. We, we've seen it a million times. So the whole thing is that he's trying to make the money clip work. And it just, it even still, it still doesn't look right. It doesn't mm. look great. And Okada was forced to win without the money clip. And it was, this is a lot more submission and technical based than I probably would have expected, even considering it's Suzuki and a submission oriented Okada wasn't bad it was really really good the wrestling was solid it was a different style of wrestling than any of the matches in this card aside from maybe the young lions match okada tries to get the the money clip in and zuzuki just reverses that into an awesome rear naked choke that really kind of i think a lot of people in the crowd were thinking Okada might just be forced to tap or the referee might just go uh, do give the go ahead and actually end the match right there. And Okada managed to, sur to survive, but he was forced to win without using the money clips. So now there's an interesting little dichotomy between Okada, the wrestler that we're so used to seeing, and Okada, the guy who's trying to get the money clip over, but it still hasn't quite worked yet. So now I'm curious to see like whether or not Okada just starts abandoning the money Club if he starts winning matches without it. I'm starting to feel like Okada's money clip is John Cena's STFU, where everybody kind of rolls their eyes and goes, oh, he's, he's doing that. Okay. All right. And it never oh, no, for, really for me, gets it's, over. For me, it's the, uh, the springboard stunner that he that he tried <laughs> to use that one year that for some reason, somehow, every time he hits it, it gets worse the more he <laughs> I does remember it. That. Oh, wow. Yeah, I... I I remember a couple of those. I don't. I know there were more than one, but I remember seeing. I it was it AJ Styles, like AJ Styles match or something, or Seth Rollins. I I, he he did both. that a lot. Uh, I think that was like especially during his U.S. title run uh, after WrestleMania 31, where he Why just did, he did the, the the the. A springboard stunner, it never looked good. And like every time, he sometimes would even like fall short. So wrestlers have to like really lean down and like forced to sell it. It just was not good. I would not say it's as bad. Like Okada's money clip is as bad as that, but it still feels unnatural. Like not saying that Okada as a submission wrestler can't work. 
it's just the way he forces the money clip every single match it like without really like easing into it like again it just never like whenever we see okada with the rainmaker like he manages to transition whatever he's doing into a rainmaker really easily it just doesn't translate as well to whenever he tries to do the money clip and a guy like suzuki and i love the story where it doesn't work because suzuki is that good of a technical wrestler and with submissions that he can get out of it whereas the other wrestlers that Okada's face, they're not as good uh, or as technically sound in terms of submission wrestling as Suzuki. So Suzuki probably wasn't maybe not expecting a cradle as the as the finish, but it, it really would be something if he had, if Okada had forced Suzuki to tap using the money clip. No, I, I can get with that logic. I think the the story, not the story of this match, but like the theme of this match to the fans, to us, is that I think in the G1, we're going to get a lot of combinations of one wrestler is going to have to adapt to another wrestler or they're going to adapt to each other or they don't need to adapt because what each of the wrestlers do, it just fits when they're in the ring together. And this, this match, for example, Suzuki and Okada, I think this was Okada adapting to what Suzuki does and I think that's what Okada is really talented at. I think when he needs to do a submission match, he kind of blends in and does that. And when he needs to kind of do a little bit more of a flying match or of a tall guy bully match, like I'm remembering that match earlier this year with Ishimori from the studios, it was a different flavor of match. And I think his uh, his talent is subtle. And I think that's not uh, that's why we think the way we do about it. Like I, I think the same, I feel the same way about you about this match. It was great. It was, but there's something like we expect way more, I think, but this was not even the semi-main event. So I think we're, our brains are having some, like there's a little dissonance there. We're so used to seeing those two in the main event going 30 minutes. And I guess it's a little strange for us to see them having a mid card match. I don't know. Nonetheless, it was good. Yep, can't really say much uh, uh, about the match other than that. It was not that long. It was, I think it was only like 14 minutes, so really not a terribly long match, so to speak. And the next one, the next match, I think, for me, this was the best match of the show, for sure. Agreed. I was not expected to say that, but I agree. Actually, oh, oh, same. I'm I'm having some inner crisis right now. I think I'm a Tai Chi fan. I think it's like real. I think I really, I'm pro Tai Chi. This regime one is really opening our eyes to a lot of stuff we never expected to. 2020 pandemic, protests, wildfires, becoming a Tai Chi fan. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, this was, (laughs) it was a match where Tai Chi had a lot of offense, but it was done in such a way where it didn't feel like Ishii was like forced to sell for Tai Chi. It was, we saw a, a, a more striking oriented Tai Chi. It was a lot more hard hitting than I was expecting to see, even with it being against Ishii. And I love Ishii's facial expressions throughout this match. Like every time he would, there were moments where the two were in a striking battle or Tai Chi would just be constantly hitting the forearms to Tomohiro Ishii. Like Ishii's face was a mix of confusion, anger, and like your your grandpa ready to like whoop some ass. And and every time he did that, it was funny how Tai Chi would just land that one big strike and it always drops Ishii. Like Ishii was no sell like 90% of those exchanges until Taichi just lands like a beautiful forearm or an elbow or a kick. And the match, it was great. Like you, I think that this may be, this match shows that Ishii can't have a bad match. Like he is legitimately one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I firmly believe he was, he's been a top five, top 10 guy 
as far as work rate and wrestling ability for the last like 10 years. And it's, and he never, he never has gone down, has dipped in quality. And I actually say that it's impossible for him to have a bad match. I really don't think it's, and not in a, in a clickbaity, like, Oh, I'm, I'm just uh, trying to sound like I'm trying to put it over because I want to talk about Ishii. I'm, I'm actually without any other attachments to it. I think Ishii is so good at pro wrestling that he is not capable of having a below average match unless it's just like atrocious or it becomes something like a non-wrestling match where, Sorry, Toriano. I love Toriano, but you know what I'm talking about. Like when it becomes something else, then then it's that's we're gonna put the asterisks next to those ones. But I think we're all on the same page. This guy is just a machine, like you said. Yeah. It's just not possible. And he forces guys to wrestle towards his stock. Because if you kind of notice, all of Ishii's matches in this G1, it's been his opponent having to get used to Ishii's physical smash mouth hard hitting style rather than the other way around. And I'm not saying that Ishii can't do a match adjusting to sort of like a high flying wrestler, but this match was it's great because like the action and everything about it just felt like so believable. Like I don't want to say like high flying stuff isn't believable or anything, but like that grounded, you know, like MMA or like shoot style type of wrestling that Ishii excels so well. Like, he just gets guys to sort of buy into the Ishii style, and it always looks great every single time. I, I don't know what exactly it is, but it must be something to do with, you know, he's had such a, I don't want to say unique experience, but it's a distinct experience. He came out of a time where Japanese pro wrestling was kind of, coming down from its highest peak and he was kind of you know around without a home so to speak in japanese they refer to him a lot as a self-made man mm-hmm. i don't know if the the nuance is exactly the same but he does have that feel where he what he, he's not a product of a dojo he's a product of the road he's a product of japan's wrestling scene and now he's here so there's always that kind of like kind of outsider feel kind of outsider cowboy feel like, oh who's this guy really there's that that hint of mystery uh when you kind of look back to the roots and the roots are something i think really or i liked a lot about this match what i mean is that for people that really like japanese pro wrestling and understand how ishii and taichi they're both who they were trained by you know ishii has roots back to Choshu and Jenichu Tenru and Masato Tanaka. And Taichi is Kawada's student and Kawada was Tenru's student. So when I watch these two, there's so many callbacks to all those hits, those progressive hits where you're, you're seeing what they absorbed from their past opponents and you're seeing it expressed in the ring together. And what I was talking about about uh, Okada and adapting, adapting to other styles. These two, I thought, didn't have to adapt anything. Ishii was Ishii, one hundred percent. Taichi was Taichi, one hundred percent. He was great. Uh, he got a huge pop for that uh, the pants spot too. That was great. Yeah, every, yeah, the pants spot. Everything where like he rips the the pants, the the long pants that he has midway for a match. It always gets the pop every single time. Which is I think there was I think there was a match uh, early on in this G one where he tried to do it, but they kind of came off early. <laughs> do you remember that? I think it might might have been the Yujiro Takahashi match. I don't know, but uh, it was kind of sad. But sorry, Taiji, I'm still your new fan. Um, but I think this was actually the the match of the night, not the match of the tournament, but pretty no. damn good. I, I wouldn't say this qualifies in my top ten. Maybe outside looking in, but. I think by the end of the tournament, this will not be a top 10 G1 tournament match. But for, for what it was, and given the the show where we both kind of thought, 
listen, this show was really, really good. Like not a single match was average or even bad. Not everything was like the best possible match it could be, but I never felt like at any point, any of these matches were, were, were kind of left you like super disappointed or left with a sour taste in your mouth. Like all these guys like really tried their, their best with, with these matches. Yeah. And I, with the Tai Chi and Ishii match, I think, at least for me, I'm impressed because I didn't expect it to be that good. And that mm-hmm. that tends to be the case with a lot of Ishii matches. I don't know why we just, I don't know if we're doubting him or doubting his opponents, but like like we said earlier, like he's not able to have bad matches and this one is damn good. So not a must watch, I suppose, but if you're interested in seeing what we're talking about, yeah, I, I would definitely throw it on. Um, but there's going to be a lot of wrestling this week, so hey. Do what you got to do. It's like March Madness or something. September to October Madness. Oh, man. <laughs> and they, if, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I was just saying, man, like, man, like, especially this week, because we're going to have like six shows in the span of seven days. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. This is, this is what it's all about this week. This is the grind. This is as close to what we're going to come to as like any quote unquote exercise or any physical athletic thing like not to say that there's any uh there's a big disparity in what we do and what uh, the guys in the ring do but um (laughs) this is tiring after a while but it's okay because the wrestling's great and we're not dealing with four hour shows like we were last year these shows we can handle i mean i can handle at least are you hanging in there carlos how do you feel physically in the middle of this g1 I will say this. I actually do think that I am a little better off uh, with these type of shows. And I thought that I'd be a little more tired or I'd be kind of really feeling the grind of the G1 by this point. I think the fact that we had several days with no G1 to kind of reset our brains and just give our wrestling eyes a little bit of a break. I think that really helped, especially for this one. Yeah, that's how I feel, too, for sure. All right, one more break from the G1 cast to talk about Bet Online. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Um, okay. So the last match on today's card, which I, in my mind, expected to be, you know, the best, but, and it was quite good. It was, uh, Kota Ibushi defeated Will Ospreay in kind of like 15 minutes, 15, 16 minutes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, what, what's your take on this match, Carlos? This match? Um, well, actually, I, I will say this. I will say this. This, ma- this match, I thought this was going to be like, a really damn good match. Like by the end of it, I thought we were going to be, this is going to be one of the three best matches of the whole tournament. It was not that, not even close, mm. but it wasn't that they had a bad match. It was, they took a really long time to kind of get things going. Like you can honestly skip maybe the first five minutes of this match, which is almost one third of it and not really miss anything. There was a lot of showboarding going on. There were headlocks. There were, very few moves executed in the first five minutes of this match. And it might be end. the pace really picked up and both of these guys were doing real damn good. But then the finish kind of came out of nowhere where Osprey was going for the Oz cutter. And then Ibushi lands a damn good jumping knee that transitions into a Kamigoye. And then it just ends it right there. Like there was nothing real big about it and it just one of those it just one of those matches that you know these guys can have a phenomenal match and it kind of left you wanting a little bit more like i just looked at this and i thought man i wish i could see these guys more because this was nowhere near 
as good a match as we know both guys are capable of doing. It was a good match, but, you know, it really is a little bit telling when Taichi has the better match uh, of the night when compared to Ibushi and Will Ospreay. Taichi, respect. Yeah, I mean, they. I feel like they tried to pack a main event match into a 15-minute Takamatsu show. And I think, like you said about the showboating earlier, I didn't dig that. And it was more, I don't know if it's like an Osprey thing, but like, you know, it's like they're messing around, like tussling each other's hair. It's okay. It's cool. But it definitely makes it feel like a pedestrian kind of match. Like it doesn't matter as much. And or and it seems like the crowd doesn't really know how to react either. Like the crowd never really, it's never, I don't think it's worth it. I think, like you said, the first uh, five, four or five minutes of this match were quite slow. And I, I don't know why they felt like they had to do that. Maybe it was because there's outside pressure from, you know, critics or something that they don't they don't uh, go slowly or something. I just don't think it even matters. They should just be good and do what they need to do to make it good. And I felt like a lot of the things that happened in today's match, they felt like they were, there was a plan and they were going through the plan and it was pretty much like 90 percent the plan. But there were things that just didn't feel like perfect like i don't think they w- i don't think some parts of the match were what osprey or ibushi expected it to be if that makes any sense like it, it i think they ex- they wanted this to be fireworks like the best match ever and they were trying but it wasn't and we're not exactly sure why and i feel like it wasn't fi- like there were some sputters here and there did you get any of those vibes a little bit. And the way I looked at this match was this was 15 minutes long, 15, 16 minutes. First five minutes, you can skip. The last 10 minutes of the match felt like minutes 11 through 20 of a really, really awesome main event. But because we didn't quite get that like nice feeling out process in the first 10 minutes and we didn't get like a real excitement and climax, no pun intended, of the last 30 minutes of said 30-minute classic, it felt like this match was just that little in between, like they were going to go for something really, really good. And then all of a sudden it just ends right there. Like the finish was really, really good. As I mentioned, like jumping knee, counting an os cutter and then transitioning into the Kamigoye. Cause that's a really unique and really fun finish, but it just felt like there was something out of this, this match. Like there were good moments, like, when Osprey was doing the, the typical, like he he does like a backflip coming off the ropes and does the, the typical Osprey pose. And then Ibushi just completely ignores like what everyone else does and just stares at Osprey and just starts beating Osprey out of nowhere, which I don't know why more wrestlers don't do that. I, I really don't know why. Part, I think that's a part of the new, this G1 summer, like I'm going to become, you know, the God of this division of new Japan and know what he's going to take. I'm, I'm going to just drive this shote into your chest and that's it. And you're going to cough a lot because it hurts. I think that's a part of this summer's uh, Kote Bushi campaign. And like you said, I feel like that's, I want to see more of that. Like we saw in the champion carnival with Zeus when he won his match with Ikemen after a very hard chop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's sort of something like that where the finish was just, you just dare, but I do say Ibushi Osprey had a better match. The one thing I have to say, the, the whole, like, he wants to become, uh, Ibushi wants to become God. It felt like this match, like that part of the storyline or of the evolving Ibushi character, it felt like this was abandoned for the most part. Not abandoned, but it was just like ignore for your more typical Kota Ibushi match. Aside from the one spot where he just interrupted the Osprey uh, showbutting with the pose and everything. Because like after the match, we didn't get the like Ibushi like beat down. Like he, like Osprey was uh, ringside and instead of just trying to attack Osprey or do something, like Ibushi just showed like a ton of respect to Will Osprey, and it was just a very amicable 
post-match exchange and, and nothing else. It felt like this was like a much more nicer version of Ibushi than we had seen in some of these other G1 matches. Yeah, that's a good point because I felt I, I, I felt the uh, uh, becoming a god gimmick a little bit in some of those moments that we talked about, but not as much as in other matches. And I think that there was um, more of motivation to pull off some innovative, wild, spectacular aerial moves and spots, and there was less story than other matches. So if I were to use numbers to rate this match, I would say uh, the ideas, uh, the innovation in this match, 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. But the execution is more like 7.5. Like yeah. there were a lot of cool ideas. A lot of, it's really a, like a forward-thinking, spectacular match. It was like I can't deny their athleticism. It's unreal I don't, and uncomparable. I can't compare it to many other people. Like I'm, I'm nitpicking and being fussy again, but at the end of the day, nobody's doing what either of these guys are, are trying, or at least on the uh, on this platform, on a platform like this. I know guys are doing lots and lots of crazy stuff on the indies, but I'm saying on this platform, it's amazing. But like we're, we're stuck here and this is how we feel. We're like, eh, it's, there's something that's not doing it for us. And I think it's to do with the lack of story in this one, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it, it like there's a couple of like interesting little angles with a lot of wrestlers in the G1. But as far as like stories, there really like isn't any, like there's no like bad luck Fale losing every single match in the G1, but it's because he's getting himself DQ'd and just doesn't care about their match result and just beating up on people. It doesn't feel like there's any one wrestler that's like having a storyline like that, aside from Okada with the, the money clip stuff. I mean, maybe you could make a case for Yano because he's the spoiler type of function in this tournament. But otherwise, but yeah. We've seen that every single year. That's the thing. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, that's always that's always a supplement to the Fale spoiler. Yeah, it's been cleaner. So I, I think, well, we have a couple more days, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know if we'll you know, stay on this uh this road and the B block has a different flavor to it too. It's mm-hmm. um, we kind of went in thinking, eh, we don't really know what to expect. And for me, I'm more satisfied than I, I thought I'd be with the matches from the B block, but we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But um, yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on today's show from Takamatsu? No, this match, the show was really good for the most part, but I don't want to, but I don't think there was a single match that was like absolutely can't miss. Like there wasn't like a Naito Tanahashi match or a, uh, let's see, I think it was like Shingo Takagi or Ishii type of match. I don't think there was not like one match in this show that like got to that level, but it was pretty good, pretty good. Like if you can watch a couple of these matches, awesome. But if you don't, I mean, you're not going to be missing the best matches ever. I'm with you on that. All right. Before we wrap today, let's go over this past Friday's New Japan Strong, which was an hour-long episode from... It was on Friday. A lot of good matches. It's kicked off with the semifinals of the New Japan Young Lions Crown um, tournament, single elimination tournament. First match, short match, about six minutes. Clark Connors over Logan Regal. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was a good match, but it was really, really good. Clark Connors uh, lands an awesome-looking spear, and then I guess Clark Connors was watching a lot of these New Japan Lions Break. Uh, I mean, not not Lions Break, a Young Lions matches in the G1 because uh, we got another Boston Crab finish. Like that's right. This, this is not a it's not a Japan thing. It's all of New Japan where the Young Lions are winning matches with a Boston Crab. Short, Fear short match, crab. but but it was a lot of good action right here and not surprised in the slightest bit that Clark Connors is in the finals. Yeah, it was great. And I hope we see more of uh, Logan, Logan Regal. And he was mentioning his brother coming in too. He has a twin brother, I guess, Sterling, Sterling Regal. So maybe we'll yeah, see both. Yeah, the Regal twins are really good. Cool. 
I, I want to see more of those guys. Next match was a little bit longer, a little bit more all over the place. But in terms of quality, it wasn't all over the place. In terms of quality, it was awesome. Danny Limelight defeated Blake Christian. We saw some talk about innovation. This is a different kind of innovation compared with uh, Osprey and Ibushi. Limelight and Blake Christian were doing some pretty wild stuff in this. Christian did like a 450 splash to like a draped Danny Limelight. He was draped over the ropes and he did it to the side. A lot of things I wouldn't expect. Uh, these guys, they got the, the wheels are turning in their heads with these uh, movesets. They're doing really wild stuff. Yeah, this was, this was a damn good. Like, this was arguably one of the best singles matches in this entire New Japan USA weekly series that we've had uh, for the last few months. And it just feels like we're seeing a lot more with Danny Limelight and the matches, the match quality with Danny Limelight, especially in the singles match have been really, really good. And I don't want to say like, I'm, I'm not surprised that Danny Limelight is in the finals, but there is a little bit of a new Japan connection with Danny Limelight because he tried out for new Japan last year. He's got that relationship, like almost mentor student uh, relationship with Rocky Romero. So it's a very unique type of final between Clark Connors, who is the 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 one young lion who has sort of been with New Japan throughout this entire time, and Danny Limelight, the the outsider, is getting a a shot to win the Lionsbury Crown. Like you can make a real good case with either guy winning. Like you could go with Clark Connors just to further establish him as he is the guy that's actually signed to New Japan. Or you could give it to Danny Limelight and just further enhance his status because Clark Connors, win or lose, I don't think it's going to change the opinion of a lot of fans, but you can elevate Danny Limelight a lot more if you give him the win over Dan, uh, or Clark Connors. The great thing about booking a situation like this, you got when you're dealing all the wrestlers you have, it's kind of an open book in terms of where they're going to go down the road and both of these guys, whatever happens, you're guaranteed a really good match. And if e- like, you, there are great things you could do with either guy going forward, I, I, they will assuredly have a great match and be part of New Japan going forward from what I, I'm seeing. I mean, these guys, I feel like any NXT, AEW would want these guys just as much. I mean, if, if this match was on AEW with a crowd instead of the setting where they had, uh, where they have in LA, where they're doing you know the empty arena thing, mm-hmm. totally different vibe. People would lose their minds. That's for sure. So, I'm I'm looking forward to Connors and Limelight. Um, and I like the story that you explained. I think that's really cool, and that's just one of the cool things that you can do with New Japan. You just let the pieces fall into place, let real life happen, and sculpt around that. So. But yeah, that was great, and that'll be this Friday, the finals. But we had two non-tournament matches after this. So the next match, we had Brody King and Flip Gordon from ROH. They defeated TJ Perkins, TJP, excuse me. I'm not allowed to call him Perkins. And Carl Fredericks. Carl Fredericks, I don't know about you, but he didn't feel like a new guy at all. He felt like... They, they'd all been like training for, you know what I mean? They were all equals. It didn't feel like he was a young lion. He was right in there. The dude is, yeah. like, it's kind of like people say, oh, he's a star. He's a star. It's like, I don't know how, I know it's kind of been said over and over, but holy good God, he's a star, dude. Fredericks has an awesome look to him that is not necessarily befitting that of a young lion, especially now. And his physique is incredible. He is able to keep up with a lot of established stars. This match was really good. It was a lot of action left and right between both teams. And I have to say, I really am liking Brody King in these in these New Japan matches. Like, it's, I don't know where, you know, if he's going to stick with New Japan, like, more so than with Ring of Honor, per se, but... I really like it. I really, I really like the uh, his his work rate. And even though he he wasn't moving as quickly as say like a Flip Gordon or TGP or Carl Fredericks, 
it was a nice little change of pace that didn't feel like the match got boring or anything like that. And TJP always really, really good. And Fredericks is really looking more and more at home. I'm wondering like what they're going to do with him um, after, I guess, I don't know if they've officially said like, Oh, he's no longer young line, but I don't know what they're going to do to him. Like it's, really hard to kind of put him on excursion aside from just stick him in there with ring of honor. But in the next year or so, we're going to be really interesting to see where Fredericks ends up. Yeah. I think it's too soon to tell just because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we'll hold out on those predictions, but wherever he is to go, he's going to have success. And I, I think new Japan has invested a lot into him. I think, we'll, I think we'll probably see him more over in Japan, but um, hey, who knows? I don't know. It works both ways. It's it's something like you know, where are we going to see Jeff Cobb? I guess like he would work both places because he's killing it over in Japan right now. Fredericks has killed it over in Japan already. So, and I guess it just depends on travel situations, visas. I think it's more to do with that stuff than actual creative booking. It's who can we get over and and when you plan that, you got to plan it out for like a couple months and it, with Japan and other countries where there's a lot of paperwork for the visas, it just takes freaking forever. And companies have to factor all this stuff in when they're, you know, getting creative. It's like, it'd be great to use Fredericks, but if the visa, if he doesn't get the visa, then, you know, no story. I hope things work out in a way where everyone wins. So, and maybe we could see him in ROH too. That'd be cool. Why not? And, and to your point on Brody King, he's looked really, really good on these episodes, especially that match with the Hikuleo a couple weeks ago, but he, he's, he's big, he's lean and he moves like he's 215 pounds, but he's not, he's big. That's rare to see. And we're seeing that more and more. I'd like to see more in him with a, uh, him and Cobb, Jeff Cobb. So we'll see. That was a really good match though. And the final match on new Japan strong this week was a big eight man tag bullet club, bullet club, USA, Jay white, and Kenta and Chase Owens and Hikuleo, they went over on Jeff Cobb, a Mysterioso, and Rocky Romero, and Dave Finley. Uh, do you have any general thoughts on this one? This was pretty chaotic, but it was really good. Yeah, it was really damn good. Really fun match. Like, great way to close out a show. There was, it was almost like nonstop action from from all these guys, it, it seemed like. And... I wouldn't say that like this was like an absolute can't mismatch, but like if you put this in, say, the, a New Japan card in Japan, like this may have been like one of the better like eight man tag matches that you probably have seen compared to some of the other tag matches that we've seen throughout the pandemic. This is really good, really good. Um, Bullet Club remains strong. Like I think that this is now moving the direction where they're going to try to assert Bullet Club as a real dominant faction on the USA brand, given that there are no other factions per se uh, on strong because LIJ is in Japan. Chaos is in Japan and Suzuki Goon, they only got one foreigner in, in sex and unless I'm missing someone like just right off the top of my head. No, I don't, I think it's all Japanese guys other than Zack Sabre right now because Archer is an AEW. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I like that Bullet Club has a, a strong presence on, on the USA shows. I really do. Yeah, it kind of makes it feel more like legitimate. There's like a legitimate brand on this new brand. So, uh, yeah, if it doesn't feel like you're getting one of the cheap shows. There's some, you know, there's always something, you know, when you try to expand and put extra content, sometimes there's just not enough time to put something together that's good. So other companies put out you know, the extra supplemental content and you're, it's just not good. It's just, it's the scraps. Nobody wants to see the scraps, but on new Japan strong, we got, we got the stars. You got the stars that are in the G one, which is that felt cool. You got Kenta and Jeff Cobb and Jay white. It felt like, even though it was a couple of weeks behind, it doesn't feel like it's a waste of your time. It's a kind of a part of the ongoing story with everybody. Like everything kind of connects no matter what. And the thing I like about that, just, for me is it doesn't really like insult you for watching last week. So like if you watch new Japan strong and you're thinking about that, eh, why, why did this guy do that to that guy? If you want to, you don't have to, it doesn't 
enhance or decrease any of your enjoyment of the show. But if you want to, there's always that thread. You can see where the threads are if you look, but the threads are there. It's, it's a solid, uh, complex system they got going on, but it works. And I like that. And I think we see that on New Japan Strong. That's why it doesn't feel like a second-rate show. It just feels like a side show, like a, not, not a side show in the sense that it's a, a freak show or something, but it's a, on the side of the main show. It's extra. You don't necessarily have to watch it, but if you do, it's enjoyable. And that's where yeah. I stand on New Japan Strong. <laughs> and there's no like real BS with any of these shows, per se, which is kind of part of it, of course, with, with New Japan. Yeah, you know what I liked so much about, I forget which match it was. It might have been Danny Limelight when he was in with Blake Christian. So they're doing the tournament match, right? And there was a part of the match where Danny Limelight, he dives over the rope. He's does some Fosbury flop type deal. But what he did right after that, he gets into the camera and he, he jaw jacked a little bit. He called out Rocky Romero. And that was it. It took two seconds, right? Mm-hmm. But... That is all he had to do to keep that that thread going because he's doing a tournament thing right now. So it's taking you out of the story, that idea of him and Rocky, the mentor, the senpai kohai story they got going on. He just had to throw a little bit of, hey, Rocky, blah, blah, blah. Gets back in our head that, oh, yeah, yeah, he's doing the thing with Rocky. That's all you got to do. That's all that needs to be done sometimes, I think. I don't think there need to be segments that last three to five minutes that explain that I think people get it. And that's all you really need to do. Talk some trash like in real life, because at the end of the day, pro wrestling is just a simulation of what we would actually be doing. Isn't it? That's what I thought. So talk some trash next week. Rocky says something, talk some more trash. You get two weeks of just stretching this angle out and they blow it off when they want to. Like you said, no BS. That's no BS. It's in the match. You get everything you're in and out, you get your pro wrestling, and you feel good. You don't feel like an idiot for watching it. Pretty much. And on that note, I didn't mean to be negative, but it's <laughs> a good show. There's, there's a lot of good wrestling out there. Like I was saying to Carlos early before we started, it's a good problem to have. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and not just pro wrestling. Uh, Carlos, you cover boxing. I mean, you were saying this is going to be the Zepeda matches fight of the year probably right and that was like on saturday yeah like jose zapata versus ivan brancho like you don't even need to be a boxing fan like it's just like action like go yeah. watch this fight on on espn plus it was one of the best it, it will end up being best boxing fight of the year hell you know what i put this this, this is even better than every mma match that we've seen this year like that's how good this fight was yeah i would say if you're not a boxing fan i know um Pro wrestling, like some of us, we just like pro wrestling. That's totally cool. And I understand, like my wife, she doesn't really like boxing, but she likes pro wrestling. I get it. It's cool. But this this one that we're talking about, this match, was like a wrestling match almost because there was so much action. There was no, there was more action. There was as much action in this as the main event on G1 today. I'm not even lying. Like it was, <laughs> there were what, like six knockouts and by the third eight round knockdowns, eight. Oh my own. That's crazy. That's nuts. In five rounds, mind you. And there were very different, um, style of fighters. There were there. You had a kind of like a perfect boxer versus this leaping left hook monster. What was that? The leaping left hook. That's like a video game move. That's like control B control B. <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, it's worth your time if you are into some action, some sport action fight combat. I don't even know what that means. If you like New Japan and you're not a boxing fan, this match would be worth checking out. We'll put it in the show notes or something. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I guess there's no reason to sign off with uh, anything big because we'll be here in a couple hours. We'll see you tomorrow. So for Carlos, I'm Justin. See you soon. <laughs>